The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. We continue exploring human history through the biblical depiction of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2. Prophecy and its many forms has impacted human history at every turn. We start with the Holy Roman Empire and explore how it grew and changed through the centuries. Then we turn to the seven weeks prophecy in Daniel 9 and unpack how it relates to the tribulation and the end times. Along around 800 AD, something new happens with the Western Roman Empire. Anybody remember what it is? Christmas Day, 800 AD. No, no. This was in France, actually, that this event happened. A very, what is it? The Holy Roman Empire starts. That's right. And they crowned somebody. Remember who they crowned as Holy Roman Emperor? Charlemagne. Yeah. Does anybody remember what Charlemagne means? Charles the Great. It's just, it's just uh, French for Charles the Great. So 800 A.D. We now have Charles the Great uh, crowned on Christmas Day, and this this marks the beginning of the Holy Roman Empire. I think it was Voltaire that said it was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. <laughs> It was mainly Germanic, French and Germanic, but uh, this is what this is what they self became self described, and this lasted until when? anybody Anybody know when this dissolved? Napoleon. Napoleon that's right. You can tell who lives in my house. <laughs> okay, this lasted until 1806, and it was dissolved under the threat of Napoleon. And actually, Napoleon was after this crown. He wanted to be the Holy Roman Emperor, so. The standing emperor at the time just dissolved it, hoping that Napoleon would leave him alone. Uh, so we have, and how how long is this roughly? About a thousand years. That's right, a thousand years. Now another fella came along and saw this thousand-year reign or Reich, and he was German too. And he said, "I'm going to institute another thousand-year Reich." Who was that? Hitler, yeah. It was the Third Reich. Why the Third? No, no, actually it was three German empires. This is the first one. And then there was this interlude here where Otto and those guys are there. So he's going to start the third one. And uh, this is actually just uh, a, a history that is according to Nazi propaganda. The, the, the three Reichs. Uh, interesting that any any dictatorship has to create its own history to legitimize itself. And that's, that's part of what Hitler did. Well, uh, during this same time period, uh, you had uh, Germanic kings. And what did they call themselves? The Germanic kings. Kaisers. Mm-hmm. Kaiser. Uh, during this time also, you had Russian kings. What did they call themselves? Tsar. Mm-hmm. Anybody know where the word Kaiser and Tsar comes from? Caesar. Caesar. Yeah. So Kaiser is... Uh, like the salad. 
Kaiser is uh, German for Caesar, and, and Tsar is Russian for Caesar. And why would they use the term Caesar? And Roman. Yeah. So, now, we went to Vienna, because this whole era here, Terry and I did, we, we went, this whole era of um, the Middle Ages was always a mystery to me. I, I, I didn't really understand what's going on during this time frame. And Vienna turns out to be like the center, the, the political center of this time period for the most part. And um, the Holy Roman emperors would have palaces everywhere, but they would have a main palace, and usually they were in Vienna. Um, the Habsburgs were the family that were sat on that throne for most of the time. And here's the way you can just kind of um, boil down this era. It just kept breaking into pieces and reforming. If you just want to boil it down. It just kept breaking into pieces and reforming. There were always a whole bunch of kings, and they would come into an alliance. The Habsburgs weren't fighters. They were lovers. So what they did mostly is marry people. And every time they marry somebody, they'd create an alliance, and then they'd have a problem, so they'd marry somebody else. And this was, this was kind of the way they tried to keep things together. So you got a lot of kings, and so it, the, the Holy Roman Empire would shrink and then grow and then shrink and then grow. So it just kept breaking into pieces and then reforming. Now, can anybody... So let's see. And from the czars took over a fellow named Lenin, who was followed by a fellow named Stalin. From the Kaiser took over a fellow named Hitler. Okay? So... What do you think of when you think of Caesar, Nero, uh, Kaiser, Tsar, Napoleon, Hitler, Lenin, Stalin? What, what, give me some episodes that come to mind. D- dictators, mass murder, yeah? Mass murder for what purpose? Control. To create fear for their rule. What else? Jewish persecution. Yeah, you know about the Hitler Jewish persecution. Do you know about the Holy Roman Emperor Jewish persecution? The medieval Catholic Church, Catholic meant universal at that point in time rather than being a denominational uh, uh, label. That's all there was. They uh, took Augustine's theology about that the church had replaced Israel and concluded that the Jews were Christ killers and needed to be sort of purged. That was the theology behind the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, that was also the theology behind the uh, burnouts that they had in Vienna, uh, three of them. The uh, Jews were disallowed from owning property because they weren't Christian. Well, property mostly economically is a, is a liability. Um, if you happen to have minerals or a mine on it or something, it's not. But if you build a palace, it just sucks money up. And the kind of the the way that the Romans thought about things was you want prestige, and so they kept building these palaces, but they wouldn't let the Jews do it. And the church said you can't charge Christians interest, but the Jews could. So they set up a monopoly for the Jews to be bankers. So they became immensely wealthy. And so the Jews would uh, had all these banking empires, and they loaned money to the Holy Roman emperors. And the 
the Holy Roman emperors had a nasty habit when they couldn't get enough money, they would just do the the Esther thing and burn them out and repudiate their loans. So that's kind of the history we had there. Hitler, of course, in Mein Kampf, which was his kind of manifesto for his um, philosophy, Hitler basically said that the Germans are a warrior class and the Jews are the leaders of this merchant class and the merchant class makes everything about money and and just makes everybody soft and ruins the German spirit. So what we have to do is eliminate the Jews and reinstate the warriors. So this spirit still exists, which will come into our uh, conversation here. So what's the point of all this? We're Roman. Now what did these Caesars tend to do if someone crossed them? Crushed them. Yeah. So what we what the what the Romans did is they went to um, they defeated Hannibal, who was Carthage, uh, northern Africa, and instead of just kind of taking over the property, they just went in and crushed everything to the ground and sowed it with salt, which is not economically uh, beneficial to them. Well, what point are they making? You do not mess with Rome. Seventy A.D. They come in and they crush Israel. And they go into the temple and they raid it. And then they just crush it to the ground. Matter of fact, they don't just come in and knock it down because it's such massive stones and stuff. They bring in cranes and stuff and take it down. Because what point are they making? You don't mess with Rome. Uh, and this is just kind of the way... This, this, not, but Americans don't have this attitude, do we? I mean, like if someone were to if, like if someone were to fly a plane into one of the big buildings, we would just say no problem, right? No, we say we're going to come pave your country, and then after a little while, when we kind of worn off, everybody sort of forgets about it, right? Because we still have this this kind of ingrained attitude. Okay, so you kind of get this now. So, what is what does this have to do with biblical prophecy? Well, everything because. But what's happening here is setting up what's what's coming. So let's look at Matthew chapter twenty. Well, let's see. Let's let's look at Daniel real quick. Man, I am going to have to make this two lessons. It looks like Daniel nine. He's got the seventy weeks prophecy, which is going to set up the whole kind of um, the whole. Um, period that's coming that's going to be the end of this Roman era. Uh, Also in New Testament sometimes called the times of the Gentiles. Chapter 9 verse 20, now while I was speaking, this is Daniel talking, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin, the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, uh, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, this is the angel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I've now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So here comes the vision. Seventy weeks are determined. For your people in your holy city. So this this 70 weeks is for the people in the holy city. To finish the transgression. 
to make an end to sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's a pretty good vision statement, don't you think? Okay, so when this 70 weeks is up, where are we? Yeah, I mean, we've got a perfect world now, right? No sin, no transgression, and the most holy is anointed and on the throne. So that's the end of the 70 weeks. That's what this is for. So now he goes into some time sequencing. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, which means 69 weeks. The street shall be built again, the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay, so what are we talking about? This has already happened. What are we talking about? Who's Messiah the prince? Jesus, okay. And he came. How was he cut off? He was crucified. Why was he crucified? Atoned for sins, but but, uh, nominally, why was he crucified? They were afraid of his power. He was rejected, right? They said, no, we don't want you as king. And so they turned him over to the Romans and crucified him. He was cut off. But not for himself. Why was he cut off? To make an end to the transgression, right? For the whole world. And the people of the prince who's to come. Now, who's the prince who's to come at this point in time? Well, the Antichrist. But the Antichrist is not in this statue. So the Antichrist has to be part of what? Rome. Yeah. So we've got Caesar, Nero, Hitler, Lenin, Stalin. Any candidates for a prototype in that group? Now, we've already, we've already seen what it looks like, right? Do you think some people thought Hitler might be the Antichrist? Would it have been for good cause? Yeah, I'm setting up a thousand year reign and I... Okay. So the people of the prince who is to come, Rome, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. When did that happen? 70 AD. Romans came in, leveled Jerusalem. Destroyed the temple. What conditions the temple in today? It's still destroyed. Okay. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now we've got 69 weeks that have happened. What's the prophecy for? 70 weeks. So now we've, we fast forward and the, and the 70th week is standing out here by itself. And the 70th week is that thing we are looking forward to. And what is, what is, uh, what's it usually called by theologians? The tribulation. Uh, and, you know, people quibble. Tribulation, great tribulation. Some people call the seven years the tribulation and the three and a half back years the great tribulation. But, yeah, reasonable term, the tribulation. It's ahead of us. And it starts when he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined. Now let's go to Matthew 24. And Jesus speaks of this same thing. 
Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus speaking, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, there's a a ton loaded in this verse because... Jesus is saying the abomination of desolations is happened or going to happen? Going to happen. Any doubt about that? It's in the future, right? Well, here's what's interesting. It's already happened. In 168, one of these Seleucid fellows that I talked about named Antiochus Epiphanes... Antiochus Epiphanes... Um, and I think it's 168, if I remember right, B.C. So he's one of these Seleucid guys. And this is before the Romans had uh, absorbed them too. And he decided he wanted to eradicate Judaism. So he made it illegal to circumcise. He made it illegal to do the festivals. He made it illegal to be Jewish. And he set up a statue in the temple... Most people think it was a statue to Zeus and forced the Jews to come in and sacrifice to Zeus. This is the abomination of desolations. Well, the Jews revolted under uh, a a group of people we know as Maccabees, the Maccabees. And, and actually the Maccabees won. It was a, it was a like impossible odds type thing. It was a God thing. Uh, their successors, by the way, are the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones that took their mantle. The defenders of the faith. The protectors of Judaism. The ones who are going to be willing to die to keep Judaism pure. Okay, that, that's, that's the Maccabee uh, notion. So this guy had already come in and done this. But it's interesting. And this is a, this is a point that I think is very important. Let's just back up a little bit. Well, birth pangs. Anybody here had uh, a baby? I see all women's hands raised. Okay, yeah, recently. So, Shelly, you just had a baby, right? So, what is a birth pain like? It's painful. It's painful, okay. What's it like? It's a wave, so it comes and then it gets real peaky and gets real and then it kind of dissipates. And then what? And then there's a rest and it comes back again. And what, what happens every time? Just kind of gets a little stronger every time, kind of gradually. It might, might dissipate for a while, but then it just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and then boom, you have a baby, right? Okay. Well, let's, let's, look at the, uh, let's look at the passage coming right up to the boom, you have a baby part. Look at 24.4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various cases, in various places. All this is like birth pangs. And they'll deliver you up to tribulation to kill you. You'll be hated by nations for my sake. 
And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. False prophets will rise up and deceive many. Lawlessness will abound. He endures to the end, will be saved. Now, this is talking about a huge period of history, so this can't be talking about you've got to be alive at the time when all this, when the baby booms in order to you know, go to heaven. This is talking about not being deceived. Okay, so you, you're saved if you endure through the through the deception. This is the principle here. It's not talking about justification. Um, let's see. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, so we've already seen an abomination of desolation, but this is not the one at the end. We've already seen men of sin, Hitler, Stalin, all these Kaisers. Nero may be the worst. Now at the time this revelation that we're going to uh, look at next week was written, Nero was fresh in everybody's minds. Wait till you hear what he was like. I mean, he was really awful, especially to Christians. So then... Flee to the mountains. So next week what we'll do is we'll look at Nero, we'll look at the man of sin, and we'll look at this beast character that's just going to be come out of this iron and clay. And he and we're going to look at a couple things that are very interesting. He's you know, Jesus is was and is and is to come. The beast was, is not, and yet is. And he comes out of the bottomless pit. Isn't that interesting? What in the world is that talking about? And he's going to do some pretty nasty things. He represents a city on seven hills. Anybody know the city of seven hills? Yeah. And he's the eighth king. Five have been, one is, and one's to come. So what we're going to do is take all this Roman background and we're going to see the culmination of it with the, not just the predecessor Antioch Epiphanes, but the real thing. Not just the, the uh, you know, sort of Hitler was a pretender, you know. We're going to see the real guy. And it is not going to be pretty. But he loses. <laughs> Thanks God that uh, you win. And that uh, we can look forward to those days. But... During this time period in the intervening when there's wars and and people lose their love and there's hate and there's persecution, help us endure to the end. Because if we don't, we lose out on all these blessings that you've given for us, all these things to learn, all these rewards to gain. Uh, Knowing you through trials and tribulations, you've made it real clear to us that that's in and of itself an amazing blessing you've given us that not even the angels get to participate in. So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Help us embrace this message of hearing, understanding, and doing that Revelation's giving us because we know that you have this in in control and you've given us a part to play and that as we play that part, we are making an impact on eternity when we obey you. Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. 
If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowblooms.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.